0: Good night, guys. Thank you for joining me. This is Late Night with White. I'm your host, CD White, and the holidays are upon us. Pretty soon it'll be Christmas. And all of us who are working hard to that one day, um, you know, after the presents are opened and um, the coffee's been had and the roast beast has been eaten, um, it goes. Just like any other 24 hour period. Um, but I do want to wish you wellness during the holiday season and focus on yourself and your health and your mental health and encourage you not to stress the things that you cannot control and to be mindful of the things that bring you joy. All right. So thank you for joining me once again. I am really happy to be here. And like a lot of you, as I've talked to you and reached out and we've communicated we're all just kind of have like a lot of thoughts swirling and so your thoughts become my thoughts as I'm thinking about what's going on with you and as I'm sharing what's going on with me and um it's just interesting sometimes across intersectionality of life that the things you're being bothered by your friends are also um suffering with and engaging with, and as you begin having these open conversations that are honest, where they can be, all of a sudden you realize you're not alone. That's the importance, I think, of friendship and communication, is that you're not isolated. So, tonight, what is on my mind, as i like just kind of trying to coalesce these thoughts, that I've had um is the ivory tower so those of you who are educated whether you have your your b.a.b.s your m.a.m.s we don't whatever on up to your doctorates and I know a lot of very educated people and um there's nothing so telling as a person speaking from comfort right um a person who has had um, substantial success in their field, who have acquired all the um, excess of the American dream, and then begin to pontificate to others about what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, um, to name their place and their holding in society. And I've always found that very um, disheartening and disengaging and um not woke (laughs) if I could use a modern parlance like um the very fact that you're comfortable and ensconced in your safety um somewhat reduces your ability to communicate with someone who's really struggling right um So someone who, for instance, has access to mental health care to say to someone who's, you know, who can't afford to co-pay, go and get help. You know, those kind of conversations. And um, who expect for you at any given time to have the same values and outlook that they have. I find that very troubling. And probably rooted in some of the most difficult conversations I've had to have with had to have with people about like place. And even within myself, as um my worldview has changed, as my locus has changed, and um my safety net has grown a bit wider. I have to constantly check myself on where I'm coming from when dealing with people who may not be as fortunate, right? the great thing for me is that I am so, the the time removed from my, my struggle is so short and so brief that the, the recall is very easy. Right. Um, and there are times when I'm there, like when I have to deal with my issues with my living arrangements and have to deal with maintenance and have to deal with things that, you know, I'm just like, uh, I, why am I having to deal with this? And then I'm reminded of the circumstances in which I'm living that are um, due to, you know, systematic racism and redlining and um, access to capital and the rising cost of housing and lack of mortgage availability. So all those things come into play that check my reality, right? When I uh, attempt to get on that high horse, then it starts to buck a little bit and say, eh, you're not quite there, girl. And I'm okay with that. So today what I was thinking about was both ends of the strata. I have been, um, in poverty. I have, um, been in comfort. I have been in discomfort where you're not quite one or the other. Um, and what it reminds me of and what it calls to mind is the idea that we all suffer. You suffer on every level in this life. Now, granted, I will um, say that having money eases a lot of suffering. If you're sick and health and you have the money to pay the co-pays and get help and dig, dig, dig and get the assistance you need, it's quite different from um, not being able to do a doctor. So I I want to um, front load that at the beginning, that yes, money makes life easier. That's why people work so hard to acquire it, keep it, maintain it, and steal it, and, you know, uh, turn their back on other people's suffering. So I do realize that. But I'm speaking in terms of the way Toni Morrison would describe the suffering. That, you know, when you look at someone with wealth who, um, hasn't really deserved it, you know, there's no one out there who deserves their wealth. If you look at a Bezos or a Musk or, you know, any really extremely wealthy person and then look at their background, well, money begets money and begets more money. The rich get richer, the poor get children. So, um, it kind of links to scarcity, right? Um... That because of the concentration of wealth and the way wealth is distributed, it limits other people from having real full equitable access to moving up the social status. And I guess when you get to my age, I don't know if I view that pursuit as a worthy goal. Yes, we should all have health care and you know stability. But we can't do that as singletons, right? We have to do that as a collective. So our social consciousness has to work together to elect people, to vote for laws that are just and and provide more equity and um, more egalitarian um, prospects for all of us. But in our daily living, in our daily approach um, to wealth and to having, that's quite a different animal. That's quite a different animal. And I don't know anyone who would shake off their self-imposed middle-class status to support a neighbor. I don't know anybody. Because that's how ingrained this idea of money is. And then as I said before, when you look at people who really have um, the outside facade of the American dream, and you peek behind the curtain, you see you see the faulty magician behind it, right? You see the sickness, the despair, the drinking, the drug abuse, the spousal abuse, the child abuse, the unhappiness. The unhappiness. Maybe I'm thinking of this because we're going into the Christmas season where we should be thinking more largely about our fellow man and even ourselves. How can we make ourselves more happy? Because certainly the way that the system is, it doesn't really promote happiness unless that happiness is having more than someone else. If that's happiness, then surely that it could be attained. And so I'm reminded of Bigger Thomas and Richard Wright's native son. And that beautiful opening scene. You know, beautifully horrific because Bigger has to um, kill a rat. And a rat who turns around and makes his final last stand. And Bigger sees himself in that rat that he eventually crushes with the iron skillet. There's no accident in Richard Wright's words and the images of the iron skillet and the fact that we can superimpose bigger under that skillet. And then, of course, writ large would be um, his lack of access to the American dream, his utter abject poverty, his mother's disapproval, his failure um, in the society... In which he... It's hard to imagine him winning. It's hard to imagine him winning. And a young boy who comes to believe that... There's no good way to acquire the wealth in this society. There's no good way to do it. And then I think of James Baldwin in his writings and... How his stepfather's religious teachings and um, you know larger than life presence kind of protected him somewhat from the horrors of racism that Bigger Thomas has to you know he has no cover from he's nude in all the time so we have these two uh, persons one you know created by Richard Wright um, but who's an embodiment of a lot of Richard Wright speaks about this knowing men like bigger right and then we have baldwin who is um you know bisexual and black and male and uh, a domineering stepfather being an outsider in his own home because he wasn't the biological child of this man the only one who wasn't and so you get this whole soup of like human chaos But human chaos is where real life occurs, right? Um, It's where real life takes place. And so we have in bigger, just this warning of rage. This warning of rage. This is a young person who is struggling not to kill himself. Is struggling to... Hold on to something. So he has this hard outer exterior. Um, But inside he's quaking. He's quaking. Um, And the sad thing is no one can can see that shivering little boy. Even his mother who loves him but is afraid for him. And then we have in James Baldwin this mighty voice that comes out of his lived experiences to such an extent that he really began to shape the voice for generations to come. When you think about Barack, when you think about, um, you know, all these authors who really give um, Baldwin his due as being the father of this new black essence where we speak truth to our lived experiences, Right. And we don't flinch from the reality of what we go through, kind of extending on W.E.B. you know W.E.B.'s um, double consciousness in a way that takes that and puts it back on society, where we're not carrying that big giant burden, we're laying it back on society that creates it. So what am I getting at? I'm getting at sadness of what not having can do to people. at the falsehood of womanhood and manhood and um, citizen that are created when there's such gaping inequalities how we contend with that as a people, um, as our separate genders, um, either creates more inequality or seeks to bridge the gap in whatever way we can. So going back full circle to the ivory tower, this is something I've always Perplexing because of my own lived experiences, right? The theory and the practice, and I, I, I can dig theory. Theory can be very educational. It can be very enlightening, but it's no good without practice. Uh, what good is a theoretical question? What good is uh, a theoretical um, anything? without some kind of practical application. And I think that's the hardest part of this journey we call life. It's putting what we know to be real and true into practice in a way that becomes meaningful um, for ourselves and for the people we love. And then largely for the world at large, right? We work hard, all of us, every single one of you, at creating ethical, moral children who become adults who have to deal with a world that is so murky. And they have to navigate um, a landscape that is mired with landmines and potholes and even wrong turns. Son, at least when I read it, there was a part of me that was like, no, 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 stop! Don't do this bigger. Don't do this. You're, you're you know, it's going to happen because he's angry, he's wounded, he's hurt, and he needs a way to deal with the, the skillet of society that's crushing him. He's backed into a corner, but everything in you. Says, not this way can we please not do it this way and I think what Wright points out is that the person who ends up getting hurt the people who end up getting hurt are the ones who don't deserve the malice and the hatred and the physical violence They are, if anything, innocent bystanders. Because you can't get at the power that's manipulating things, that's controlling things. Because we're all a part of the power, in a sense, that's manipulating and controlling things. Unless we give up that power, or knowledge, we even have it. And so Bigger is lost from the beginning. He's a lost boy at the beginning. He's lost at the end. Although his understanding increases and his self-awareness increases, which is more painful because he's going to die, which is just kind of similar to a lesson before dying. These lessons about what does it mean to be a human being that often come so far after a person has been made an animal. And theologians argue that the Lord himself is most angry and most apt to be the hand of vengeance when we make other people animals because he made us all in his image. How dare we reduce each other? To the status of an animal whether by economic insecurity by placing them in positions of slavery where they have no rights and no humanity whether we redline them whether we press on their necks for 8 minutes whether we walk into a schoolhouse and decide I don't want to live and neither should anybody else whether we decide that workers don't deserve decent pay and decent health care, whether we decide that women shouldn't control uh, their bodies and not only give birth but give birth to a country with a higher mortality rate than some some third, you know, rising nations, it's just it's appalling. But in that same sense, we all suffer whether you're at the very top you suffer being there because what it does to you to hold on to that power what it does to your soul and your being to pretend like it's not killing you inside I'm not sure if that's in any degree less terrifying than to be poor and hungry in a world with so much on the table so I'm sorry that's kind of bleak but um, I've been thinking about Richard Wright and Baldwin for a while now and the good thing about both of these giants is that they really did change things you cannot read Native Son you cannot read Go Tell It on the Mountain and Notes of a Native Son remain unchanged I hope (laughs) and if you haven't read either of these authors go read them go read them step outside of your comfort Um, literature is the one way that we get to breathe in the life of somebody else in a safe space right or we can close the book on the the sharp, painful details, and then pick it up later. Be good to yourselves. Be good to the people around you. Give yourself grace and mercy. You're not perfect. You weren't meant to be. Um, when you're looking at the person in the mirror, you have to give that person a lot of love and a lot of permission to make mistakes. And to get better and challenge that person to not be afraid of the conflicts within and the conflicts without right, the external and the internal it's okay to be conflicted, it's okay to have moments where we're unsure and trying to cope that's part of being human thank you for joining me Thank you for listening. And thank you for your comments and suggestions. Keep them coming in. They really do help me have these thought processes. People start mentioning authors and have you read this and have you read that. And these dialogues that occur kind of behind the scenes. Um, are very helpful and enriching to me especially you lit heads out there who have just such a cornucopia of knowledge of different texts even ones that um, you know authors that I I'm unaware of so um, go out there and keep reading keep doing and be kind to yourself during the holiday season thank you have a good night (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.